Welcome to today's episode of The Square. As you can tell, we have gotten out of the studio. We are on location at the Robert R. Taylor School of Architecture and Construction Sciences here at Tuskegee University. We're having a curious conversation with Professor Ama Asamoah. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. As I was doing the research and the prep for this, I was astounded because you have a, a, a really broad um, set of experience, especially for somebody so young. And I'm curious with um, your work in the commercial sector, your work in the academic sector, there's just been this, you can just tell there's kind of this line of, of fulfillment that comes out of design. Where does that come from? Was that something that you just, as a child, you always had or were, where did it come from? You pretty much. I blame my mother. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I decided that I wanted to go into design at a very early age. I was six years old, actually. And remember back in the day, they used to have like sets of Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah, absolutely. So my mom, whenever I'd ask her a question about something, she'd tell me, go look it up. Yeah. And eventually, I guess to keep me occupied, she started telling me, oh, why don't you go try and draw that? So I was obsessed with monumental buildings like the Taj Mahal, yeah. the pyramids. That the really big it. ones. Yeah, it yeah. was just like, this is dope. These, oh my gosh, I can do this, right? So I started studying architecture. I was pretty, I was a nerd. Um, <laughs> so I started studying architecture. My dad used to subscribe to Architectural Digest. So I was like, just immersed in that. On top of it, it was like, okay, I'm really good at art. Um, I love making things with my hands, so I, I would sew, like I got a sewing machine when I was seven. I would wow. draw, I would make up little floor plans of different places and spaces. It, yeah. So with all of those different interests, sewing and painting and drawing and working with your hands, why architecture? My mother. Really? Yeah. Um, but first of all, my father was just like, you must be a doctor. <laughs> You must be a doctor, <laughs> lawyer, engineer. He's from Ghana, so yep. that is a typical West African parent response. My mother, however, was a, well, she is a member of the Nation of Islam, so we know them to be a black nationalist group. Right. And the idea is that anything that will boost the black community, you got to do that thing. So just being an artist mm -hmm. wasn't enough. Just being a fashion designer wasn't enough you have to be an architect. An architectural engineer, no less. But I was like, I'm not taking all that math. Yeah. So. I'll meet I, you in the middle and do architecture. Exactly. This is, this is what you're going to get. But yeah, it was my mother. It's like, you have to do something to help rebuild the black community. Um, I grew up on the East Coast. I was born in Brooklyn. Um, we later moved to New Jersey. We lived in Camden right in the middle of the crack epidemic mm. and literally could not go play in our backyard because there were crack needles scattered everywhere. Wow. So it's like, you have to do something that can change this environment. Yeah. And I didn't fully understand the gravity of it at that time. Obviously I was six, seven years old, right. but as I got older and really started understanding what architects do, I was like, aha, this is, this is my thing. So then eventually you come and you actually attended Tuskegee University, correct? I did. And was it, was it because they had the architecture program that they have or? So um, I actually, prior to coming to Tuskegee, I came as a transfer student. Mm -hmm. And so I, I received a scholarship while I was at a community college in Philadelphia um, to go and study abroad in Ghana. 
I really wanted to go to Japan. Let's start there. <laughs> but again, my parents, um, my father was like, no, you must go home. You must learn about your heritage. And I'm just like, for real? Like, this, I'm going to be... Japan, Ghana. <laughs> so I, I got the scholarship. I proposed a sustainable design, like, research project um, in Ghana. And that, that was part of the requirement for the scholarship. So I went, and while I was there, there was a young lady, Diane Wilson, who convinced me that Tuskegee was the bee's knees. I told her I was going to transfer to Drexel because that was the kind of the lineup for that particular community college. You do two years at community college, the rest at Drexel. And I'm like, all right, cool, bet. Nope. Hmm. She, she talked me into coming to rural Alabama. <laughs> A little bit different than Brooklyn. Completely had <laughs> no idea what I was getting myself into. Pulled up, humid day. My hair is like, poof. as soon as we cross the Alabama border, I'm stuck in the back with like a plant and a TV. And my mom and my great aunt are driving. They drop me off at Sage Hall, which is at the top of campus. I'm in this little like cubby hole of a dorm room. And my mom's like, stay away from the football players. <laughs> Call me if you need anything. And then gets back on the road. We're headed out. That was it. Yeah. So um, that was my introduction to Tuskegee University. It was just like, okay, rainy, hot place. Um, get a lot of walking, no car. Yeah. Very, very hot. But when I got, when I came to um, the architecture building for the first time, I was met by some of the coolest students from all over the country, yeah. and they just embraced me like it was a, a real family. Like I got adopted the first day by mm. the, the Noma president at the time, Noma's president at the time, um, who's from Chicago, and he was just like, "I'm gonna be your big brother. I'll show you around. I'll you know, we'll we'll take care of you. We're yeah. family here, and that's that's what it became. Like we all just took care of each other." So, um, is there? You, you, you talked a little bit about NOMAS. Tell me a little bit about what that is. So the National Organization of Minority Architects Students um, was my first introduction to a student organization here at Tuskegee's campus. I was also part of AIAS. I served leadership roles in both organizations while I was a student. Um, but for me, it was like kind of a big brother, big sister initiation program. Yeah. Um, they showed us the ropes around the department. And so um, when I came back to Tuskegee as a professor, I took on the faculty, yeah. you know. The role that, you, that was one of the ones that was most impactful to you when you first got here. Exactly. So I, I wanted to make sure that whoever came in, like you had some type of, you know, rooting in one of those organizations to help you navigate design. Because honestly, the relationships that I developed through NOMAS very early on, um, lasted throughout my career. So when I went back to Philadelphia after graduation, um, whenever I was going to a different city, I could contact my local Nomish chapter and, yeah, you know, tap in. So let's take a step back. You, I'm curious because when you did the scholarship for Ghana and you, you made the pitch for sustainable design, mm -hmm. why sustainable design? That's a thread that continues through a lot of the work you've done. So random. How? Why was it sustainable design? I don't know what about sustainable design stood out to me. I just know that um, having gone to Ghana previously, I experienced a lot. It obviously was a lot of fun. Had a blast. But also experienced a lot of kind of the challenges there with the infrastructure. Um, a lot of power outages, issues with um, rainwater. 
um, realized that we were staying in very, very hot concrete boxes um, that were not well ventilated. Like the, the architecture didn't match the environment at all. And so I'm not sure how I came across sustainability at that point. It might've been through research or another class at community college, but I was just like, these different techniques, like solar energy, all of these things need to be implemented in Ghana. Like that was my mindset. I was, I'm always a problem solver. It's like always thinking of a, a way to solve any challenges that come up with the built environment, yeah. Well, and then you had your own business as a consultant for sustainable design for almost I 10 years. Did. Um, I did. So after Tuskegee, um, I had an opportunity to work in Germany and um, it was such a cool experience. We were in Bavaria, which is the southern part of the country. And um, the firm that we worked for, I say we because it was myself and another student who had the opportunity to go. I consider him like my brother. Um, so we're there in, again, the middle of nowhere um, in Guntering, um, outside of Altoting. So all these places I can barely pronounce. I got pulled over my first day. That was another story. <laughs> first day at work. Um, but while we were there, like we're driving and there's solar panels everywhere. Yeah. Like everything is green and lush and it's like Sustainability is just integrated into everything. It's not even necessarily something you need to think about. It wasn't an extra thing. It was just something that they do. And so I was like, this is really dope. Like, um, we we were an hour south of Munich. And so that was considered one of the greenest cities in Europe at that time. And we were just like, okay, AMA, next steps. Economy is tanking in the U.S. My mom was like, stay in Europe. You're getting paid euros. Stay in Europe. I didn't listen. I was dumb. Um, But I came back and my dad's like, well, what about grad school? And he's like, oh, you could go get, you know, MBA or do construction management. And I'm like, I think I'm really interested in the sustainability thing. I want to see where I can go with that. And so that I ended up going to grad school at what was then Philadelphia University, getting a degree in sustainable design. And um, during that time, had my first child while I was in graduate school. And I needed to be able to do something that allowed me the flexibility of spending more time with him sure. in his developmental years. And that's why he's spoiled now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I um, decided that I was going to consult for different companies and oddly enough Dr. Daniels um, you'll have an opportunity to talk to him obviously our department head who was my teacher when I was at Tuskegee um, he was in Philadelphia pursuing his PhD and so yeah we did the things together so we would help each other out he invited me he was teaching at NYU at the time he would invite me up to NYU we would get involved in different community projects and things of that nature so with the um, various schools that you've been to and the various levels of education that you've achieved was and now you're a professor was there a teacher that stood out to you in your educational career that just really is kind of like I feel like I'm going to get in trouble for this there were there were many um, there we were won't tell many anyone. okay <laughs> uh, I can say a pivotal moment for me in terms of like fully 
understanding the impact of design and sustainability and be able to weave all of those different things together was my fifth year at Tuskegee. Mm. And at that time, and still now, I have Professor Rod Fluker. Mm. He was so dope. He was a licensed <laughs> architect. He's really cool, former Crimson Piper. So he's like, got this little swag, but he's like very, very low key. Um, and whatever I would do, he would always push me further and question it and make me dig deeper. Mm -hmm. And it really prompted me to do more research while I was designing and try to tie, like tying everything together is yeah. a big thing for me and tell a story. Um, and so I dove really deeply into my heritage. Um, I was into like sustainability as a technology, but I didn't understand the cultural ramifications of it. And so that is what Mr. Fluker pushed me to do. You know, thinking about heritage, you obviously your parents instilled a strong sense of, you know, heritage and legacy from coming from Ghana. You're at Tuskegee University. It's a hundred year old, hundred plus year old architecture school. How is that something that um, influences how you teach moving forward? Well, being that I come from a demographic where we are underrepresented in the field. I'm constantly reminding our students of how impactful their legacy is. As a Tuskegee student, you are a part of that legacy, and it is imperative that you honor that. You honor the um, sacrifices of our ancestors. You understand the gravity of what was done here in making the bricks and building the campus, designing the school mm -hmm. when we weren't even allowed to be licensed really at that time um, or practice elsewhere. We created community. We built an environment where there was none. <laughs> and so um, I want them to understand their own power and their own power is rooted in part in that history. You chose to come here for a reason. There's something about this place that really does pull you in. Um, I was here during COVID pretty much by myself because everyone else, the students had gone home off of campus and I was staying in faculty housing. During that time, I started running, I started gardening and um, I would stop in the resting place of George Washington Carver and Booker T. Washington and just walk the paths of people like they're resting, but it was so peaceful to just kind of sit and reflect. Mm. And so I encourage my students to do that. I, it maybe sounds a little morbid, but I, I see that transition death differently because of my ancestry. Mm. So where I come from, ancestor, to become one is an honor. Um, and to have amassed all of this knowledge over time, those particular people, like you wanna be able to tap into that energy. So I'm always telling my students, do that. Like research, understand where we've come from and make that push you forward when yeah. it's a late night and you're tired of doing this project and you don't wanna look at the floor plans anymore. Like you have a level of responsibility. So that's what it is. Now you, you had, I mean, you in Germany and you worked in kind of various places um, you had successful commercial career why make the switch to academia hmm. I wanted to come back south really um, I the New York girl turned southern <laughs> man listen <laughs> um, I was living in Philly in the time at the time um, and there were a lot of kind of personal life transitions happening um, unfortunately my father passed away unexpectedly mm -hmm. and that really 
forced me to take a step back and pause and like, okay, where is the trajectory of my life going? Um, what is it that I really want to be doing? Because when you get caught up in the day-to-day, -day, it's like parenting, food, business, trying to hold a child on your lap while you're finishing 3D prints or whatever, um, it can be consuming, it can be overwhelming, but you're just stuck in a cycle. And I knew I needed to make a dramatic shift. Um, also, I, when my father passed away, I went back to Ghana and my father had left some land there and I was trying to figure out what to do with this land because it was only partially built. Unfortunately, he got sick and I could, he could not come back and forth anymore. He wasn't communicating a lot to me about that. It was really strange. It was like, okay, you have a daughter. She's an architect. But you don't want to tell her what the plans are for this development project you're doing. Um, love him, though. Miss him. And um, I, I went to go see the site, and I called Dr. Daniels. Like We kept in touch all those years. We both have a slew of children between us. So it was just like calling him, checking in on his wife. Yeah. We, we've been keeping up with each other. And I'm like, Dr. Daniels, I know you're back at Skeegee. What can I do? Can I bring this as a project to the students? Would this be of interest to them? He's like, sure, absolutely, come yeah. down. So I came down to do a design charrette during the D plus CM Expo. And the students were really engaged. And I was really like activated. Like I was excited to be working with yeah. them. I had taught before and I always enjoyed working with youth, um, but that just kind of clicked and so I decided I was going to move south after um, my marriage ended. And my children were still in Pennsylvania, so it's kind of back and forth between, and I'm looking for places to work in the Atlanta area. They're like, well, do you want to do Revit? Do you want to, I was like, I don't, I don't want to do all, I don't want to do, I don't want to do any of those things. I don't want to do any of those things, but I really love designing um, and, Academia gave me an opportunity to really delve into things that I'm passionate about and take ownership of some of my own projects. So That's awesome. And it's come full circle because of the impact the teachers had on you. Yes, absolutely. What are the ways that you see Tuskegee as a whole, and maybe even more specifically, you as a professor, influencing and, and ideally changing that disparity? Hmm. So Tuskegee as a whole, um, there's just a sense of pride in being here and being a part of that legacy. So I've gone into that at length, so I won't talk about that again. But I think that really grounds you. And if the students are aware, then of course I make them aware. Um, I also encourage them to delve into their own history, their own heritage. When I first got here, um, my first semester back, I had an opportunity to uh, co-teach with Jack Travis, who's a design fellow out of New York. He's got goo gobs of experience, um, just swag for days. And he, like, just sitting and watching him engage and teach and kind of pull these gems out of the students really inspired me. And so I, I still use some of his techniques. Um, and we do an exercise called Why I Design. Hence this. You have an answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I make the students like really question like, what is it about you that led you to this point and this field? Like, what about your family? What about what? Mm. Tell your story. Um, and then connect that to your work because 
too often as people of color, um, we are not connected to the built environment. We are not seen. When we are seen, it's from a negative perspective. Um, but we do not take into account the, um, the racial ramifications of that, the systemic things that have taken place for well over a century um, that have impacted places where we live. And so I'm always trying to get them to see what they can infuse of their positivity, mm. of themselves, of their history, of their love of whatever. It could be music, food, um, their family. Like, how do you reflect that in what you design? So this may seem kind of like an obvious question, but, but I think because we're talking about starting with why and so many different things, why does diversity in design matter? Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> why does it matter? Um, because for so long, the people that live in communities that don't have a voice have just accepted the least or fought for more and not received it. Mm -hmm. And so if you do not have representation in the room where decisions are being made, then you're just shifted around, you're moved around, decisions are made for you that do not behoove you or your family or generations to come. Yeah. So we can't talk about sustainability, um, about sustainable development without a level of equity and accountability of the problems that have compiled <laughs> over time in this country. Um, and really all over the world. Um, there are so many things socially and um, economically, environmentally, that really, really need to be addressed, but you can't do it without the perspective of people who look like me, yeah. who look like Latino people, who look like Asian people. Like if you're not represented, if you're not a woman in the room, how do you design for people that have specific needs like you're not getting the full spectrum so in that in that vein what's what's the key to the ch to, to changing it to making that change what can you know what can people do the reality of it is the one percent does not look like me um and they don't want to necessarily on a broad scale be in the same room with people that look like me um they feel that their their power and their influence is attached to keeping us out. Mm -hmm. And the reality of it is we all have something to bring to the table that solves a greater problem of preserving like culture and yeah. our planet and making sure that our children can survive for generations. Um, but if the accountability is not taken, like if you don't acknowledge that you have a problem, the problem yeah. is not me. Yeah. You've created this issue you've created these issues so if you don't address it like i i can't take responsibility for that it would seem like before you can even expect accountability there has to be an awareness yeah what are the keys to to having that awareness take a look in the mirror the you have colonized um degraded um taken over different environments or just left environments to deteriorate out of greed 
um, or for a lack of capital for for capitalism not a lack of but for capitalism or industrially like whatever your mindset is that will push you to continue to push other people down because they don't look like you Mm -hmm. like that's a that's a you thing that you need to deal with like it's not the responsibility of people of color to tell people in power what they need to do I can address things in my community from my level. That is my responsibility. I have a responsibility. But if you're constantly putting barriers in place, what what is driving you to do that thing? So some examination then. Yeah, some yeah. self-examination, some self-reflection, some education um, on behalf of yourself, on behalf of generations to come after you. Mm-hmm. Because the reality of it is, um, these structures and systems and the way things are it's taught it's not inherent it really is taught like you teach people to hate you teach people to be greedy you teach people to be selfish and so if that is the way that you are moving about in the world and it's impacting millions and millions of people you got to really take a step back and say like this is not sustainable, not just for me, but for everyone. So what can I do to make a difference? What, give me some examples of, of either, uh, of, of places or projects that are doing it right. Mm. Wow. I, this is gonna sound really weird, but um, places or projects that are doing it right. They have that kind of acknowledgement, that awareness of it, and they're addressing it. Hmm, okay. Um, so this is kind of like a really old precedent, but when I was here in Tuskegee, one of my student, um, my teachers was teaching urban design and she made us watch this documentary called Learning from Curitiba and city in um, Brazil. And they were addressing all of these um, environmental, social, transportation issues um, in their city with city planning initiatives and sustainable initiatives and what was cool is that the mayor had a background in urban planning and he was just very systematic about problem solving from that lens um, and addressing different tiers of people from different how do I say this classes if you will making sure that the poor person still had an opportunity um, as well as the wealthy person that you still had everyone had access sure um, it seemed like that was the goal there and so that um, precedent always stood out to me as something that in urban areas potentially that could be implemented elsewhere there also seems to be some impact. You know, we were able to talk with some of the um, NOMIS um, student leaders, and uh, you can tell that they have a real desire to, um, you know, see. It may sound kind of corny, but see a, a design good for all. You know, they the work that just happened. The team from Tuskegee that took first place um, in the North Nashville competition. Um, seeing their passion for it is is it's inspiring to be around is is are there opportunities I mean it's just a competition to be perfectly frank chances of that design ever being built probably never gonna happen but 
it, it feels like it's important for those competitions to happen and those kinds of opportunities to be taken advantage of because of the inspiration that has, you know, almost a butterfly effect. So I'm not sure how other schools teach their students to design, but we teach our students to design that way. We teach them to design with acknowledgement of a problem, a challenge, um, and design with empathy. Like there has to be an emotional buy-in. You have to be able to connect because the NOMAS competition specifically always addresses an underserved community in whatever city that we are having our conference in. Um, there's always a community service aspect, some type of um, connection to the people that are there. We're trying to help, like we want to be citizen architects. And so that that is the desire when a, a student comes out of Tuskegee, you're not just going to get a big cushy job and you know, a penthouse, like yeah. that is not the idea. The idea is to be a change maker um, and an influencer. And so we deliberately teach our students to do those things. We, from first year on up, engage them in community projects, things that are socially relevant, things that um, try to solve some type of environmental problem and things that really reflect our culture because it hasn't been seen in a positive light more often than not. Like hip hop architecture is really big now because Michael Ford has blasted it across the world. Um, but previously when you look at hip hop and um, rap music and the way that it is perceived while a lot of people will participate in it, they don't really understand the implications um, that it's had on the built environment or that the built environment ha has had on creating that genre. Mm -hmm. So the people who've lived in those communities understand it because we lived it, we were there, um, we experienced it. So that experience, that um, level of knowing mm -hmm. has to be brought to the forefront because more often than not, the people that are making the decisions for our built environments don't look like us, so we have to be able to boost our students up enough so that they communicate, hey, this also needs to be addressed. You need to look at this. This is not just about the competition because we just don't do it for the competition. That's how they're taught across the curriculum. You know, one of the other things that really impressed me when we were walking around campus yesterday and, and we were kind of learning about some of the history of Tuskegee University is, um, and I, I think this is unique um, or, or certainly not common amongst architecture schools. The architecture school and the construction sciences school, like the architects are expected to help build things and they're expected to understand how materials go together and be very hands-on with that. I saw a bookmobile that was, you know, for a community project that was being refurbished by architecture students. And, and that's a heritage that goes back to Robert Taylor. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. Absolutely. So um, Robert R. Taylor came here in the late 1800s um, and he'd graduated as the first African-American architect from MIT. And with that, you know, there was no real campus here, um, but he designed the buildings and the students built them. Like they made the bricks, they honed Alabama clay, they fired them, like you can go over to Dorothy Hall and other buildings around campus yeah. and still see the fingerprints of the, the, the people that made them. And that 
in and of itself is so impactful because we're looking at a time of reconstruction in terms of the history of this country. We're looking um, during a time period where Jim Crow laws are still very much in place. Like we are in Alabama, Alabama. <laughs> like this, um, Tuskegee was still very segregated as a city. And so for people who were previously not allowed to read and write, your only acknowledgement of I was here, I contributed to this, it's like pressing your fingerprint into a brick mm. or putting your brand into, you know, some iron or integrating a symbol that, you know, Massa didn't understand. Like you are making your presence known. Um, that is important. So we want our students to be hands-on because they need to make their presence known. They need to stand up and say that I'm here and be confident in that and understand that them being here, their contribution has value to this country. What is it that excites you about the future? About the future, the possibilities. And it could be, you know, architecture as a, as a um, art, it could be at Tuskegee. Um, there's so much that excites me. Um, I enjoy meeting a new student and finding the spark, finding what they're passionate about and like flaring that up, like boosting <laughs> it up, so like let it explode, like show it off. Um, that is exciting to me. Um, doing more of my own artwork and potentially um, having like a, a campus abroad and taking students to Ghana and, and letting them see more of the world, which we do a lot of study abroad, but I don't think we've done a lot on the African continent. Um, Professor Fluker has taken students to South Africa and Liberia, but recently like development in Ghana is booming. Mm -hmm. So I really, really want to take some students back home. Um, so the possibilities are exciting to me. What happened with the property that your dad The had? property is still under development. Um, what I did, I established a foundation in his name, um, made my children board members because they're eventually going to have to yeah. take on the reins. And I um, started integrating the development of that project into my design studio. So my third year studio for the past, well, we did it two years consecutively. Um, last semester we worked on a competition. This is in the spring and this year we're working on it again. So it's like a, a fielding of ideas and hopefully we'll get some investors and start yeah. actually making things happen. So Tuskegee's gonna be celebrating their 150th anniversary before too long, it's, you know, a few years down the road. What does architecture look like when that celebration happens hmm. a hope, as a practice? I, I hope that architecture looks like branching out more into the Tuskegee community. Um, there's a lot of disparity between town and gown here. There's a lot that can be um, preserved and developed further on campus. And so I, I would like to see growth. I would like to see more community engagement. I would like us to you know, go and get some of those high school students and let them know about architecture or elementary school students so they can be just as passionate as I was at six years old and understand that the pyramid at Giza and the Taj Mahal are right down the street at Tuskegee University and they were built by people that look like me. Yeah, Professor Ahmed, thank you so much for being here and having this conversation. Thank you, thank you for watching. Um, we'll put more information in the description below related to Professor Ahmed and make sure to check out the next episode of The Square.